Welcome to Grace Family Church. We are so glad you decided to check out our podcast. Our prayer is that this teaching from Pastor Tommy will encourage your faith and lead you towards the greatness God has planned for you. Thanks again for listening. We hope you enjoy this message. Lord Jesus, Jesus, we worship you. We praise you. You are the only one worthy of praise. It is the reason we praise you. Because you are worthy, you are holy, you are pure, and you gave that to us through your sacrifice for us. We are so grateful. We will stand for all eternity and sing your praise for that wonderful gift of a free relationship with God, not based on our actions not based on our own holiness, not based on our own righteousness, but based on what you did for us. You are worthy. In Jesus' name. He's worthy, amen? Amen. He is worthy. Come on, say it with me. Say, Jesus, Jesus. you are worthy of all my praise. In Jesus' name. Amen and amen and amen. We'll turn and say hello to somebody. Let them know you're glad they're here. Amen. God is so good and you can be seated. Praise the Lord. Well, we're glad you made it out to worship with us tonight, today. Uh, man, it was a chilly one and uh, it's, it was cold coming in the building. I don't know about you, but that wind is biting. But man, we're glad you made it out. Uh, and you know, as we were worshiping there, I just was thinking about, you know, how pure and holy God is. And you know, that that applies to every aspect of who he is, including his love for you. His love is just, uh, it's it's a pure love. And uh, he loves you enough that he sent uh, Jesus to die for you. Amen. And, And shed his blood for us. Aren't you grateful for that this morning? And the fact that we can stand before God because of what he did, not because of, of what we've done, right? Uh, so grateful for that. Well, listen, glad you made it out to worship with us. Just want to remind you, if you have a prayer request or a prayer need, we want to be praying for you and believe in God for answers in your life. A couple ways we do that. Um, on the seat back in front of you, there's a prayer request card you can fill out. You're welcome to take the time to fill that out and bring them forward to one of the buckets here at the break in just a moment. Uh, you can also go online and fill out prayer requests and praise reports. We get those throughout the week, and uh, I pray over those. Delisa prays over those. We get those out to our prayer team as well. And then at the end of the service, if we don't have an altar call or there's not a moment in the service where we actually have an opportunity to pray with you, we'll have prayer partners right over here to my right, your left, uh, at the conclusion of the service. And you can make your way to the front. They'll join hands with you, agree with you, pray with you, and then stand with you uh, through whatever it is you're facing. And so uh, we just want to let you know we care about you, we love you, and we're glad you're here. That goes for everyone that's a member and for anyone that's a guest. We're glad you're with us as well. Give our guests a hand. Let them know we're glad they're with us. Amen. Well, this is the point of our service where we do want to worship God with our giving, um, and so we'll take an opportunity to do that. If you brought, you know, cash, you can put it in offering envelopes, checks, no need for an envelope. Information's already on your check. There's also methods of giving online, but we want to take a moment just to stop and worship 
and make sure we're not just doing this as a routine or we're just paying a bill, right? We, uh, giving's a form of worship, and so we want to take an opportunity to do that collectively as a church and believe God for the needs of our church to be met, for our building funds to be fully taken care of and plans and purposes and all that taken care of, and then for a return on your giving as well because that's God, what God promises you. So let's pray and believe God for that. Father, we come to you in the name of Jesus to worship you with our giving. You've commanded us certain ways to give in your word, and so we're giving in accordance with that and giving being led by your spirit, and I thank you that as we do that, that through the faithful giving of your people, the needs of this church are met. Every bill is paid on time. I thank you that our projects are fully funded and that we're able to sow abundantly into stateside and overseas missions on a regular basis. We just give you praise and thanks for that. And Father, I thank you through the faithful giving of your people and the seed they're sowing, you're giving back to them. Thank you for raises, jobs, promotions, sustenance, increase in their life because they're trusting in you and they're partnering with you and their finances so that they can enjoy the good things of this life, but also so that they have an abundance left over to easily be able to give to all of your good works. And we give you praise and thanks for that in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Well, listen, before we dismiss our first through fifth graders with Joe out there, I do want to remind you, um, we did have our chili cook-off last week. We won't talk about the Super Bowl because my team didn't win. Um, <laughs> They're not really my team anyway, so my team didn't even make it there. But that being said, we did have a chili cook-off, and I did want to announce to you who the winners were, if you could put it up there on the screen. But our first place winner was Chris Akers. By the way, Chris is not on the screen, uh, just like a mother-in-law. She stepped up and got the trophy for him instead of Chris. I'm just joking. Chris, stand up. Give Chris a hand so we don't have the picture of him. He wasn't available. So his mother-in-law actually came through and stood, for, stood, stood, uh, stood in for him. So he was the winner. Uh, and then we had uh, Gwen Walls. Gwen also placed, and so that's Candace's daughter. And then Linda Jester. Linda, I think, believe you're here. Where are you at? There you are. Give Linda a hand as well. So um, I will tell you that we passed out trophies to the winners. And, you know, I, I was yelling at the winners as they were leaving with the trophies that you're committed to the church for a year because those are the trophies we're giving out next year. So you got to bring them back. A year from now. So uh, that's the way we hook people here is we let you win a contest until you got to come. But anyway, um, <laughs> just, yeah, hopefully you're hooked because Jesus can be in his presence can be sensed here. Amen. Amen. Well, first through fifth graders, I uh, do, also do want to remind you, we, uh, we do have um, the youth. They were planning on going ice skating, but the ice skating rink scheduled a hockey game for that night. So they've changed and they're going to go bowling. And I heard a couple, t a couple of teens say, yes, I like bowling better anyway. So, um, so uh, if you have teens that are interested in coming out, and I will tell you, um, I'm really blessed by what's happening in our youth group, even though the group is, is relatively small. You know, I had one of the teens actually tell me today that uh, for the last, uh, how many days was it? For the last two weeks, uh, he's made it a point to pray every night and spend time seeking the Lord. Now, how many of you realize that's a great thing as a teenager, amen? But I will tell you, some of that is the product of what's being taught. They're, they're being taught right now on Wednesday nights about build, establishing a rhythm in your relationship with God, a consistent rhythm. And, uh, and so thank God for that. And so thank God what's happening there. If you know teenagers that are looking for a home, we need, you know, uh, a, a good place to come where they're good friends that love the Lord. I believe this is a good place to be. Amen. Amen. All right, stand to your feet with me, first through fifth graders. We want to dismiss you out with Joe. Uh, if, you have, if you're a parent, please make sure you go and, uh, and register them with Joe so that he knows uh, who your kids are and he gets them back to you when they dismiss. But let's meet and greet and fellowship for a few moments, and we'll jump into the Word, bring your offerings forward. Amen. Saturday is our men's meeting. They're going to be doing a breakfast. I don't know if they've settled on where yet, right? 
All right, so if you're interested in the men's meeting, I think all the men have, have uh, uh, on a text group, but uh, you can find out where that is. But you could see uh, Bev, he'll be in town this week. I know you're going to be out of town, Bill. They're going to be traveling, so let's be praying for them for safe travels and a good trip. But uh, if you're not on our men's group and you'd like to be a part, uh, Bill, wave your hand. Just come up and tell Bill, hi, I'd like to be a part, at least know when you're having your meetings, um, and then you can uh, be a part of that. That's coming up this coming uh, Saturday morning at 9 o'clock. And then also on the um, youth ice skating, I think it's set on the slide 7.30. It's actually 7 o'clock. I mean, it's not ice skating. It's youth bowling, and it's at 7 o'clock at the Vinton Bowling Center. So that's all good there. Um, and then I'd also tell you just to pay attention to the youth. Soon they're going to be raising funds for youth camp. Um, finally, I'd like to welcome those that are joining us maybe online uh, that, are, that are joining us live or that watch the video. So give all those folks a hand. Let them know we're glad they're uh, looking in. Uh, we invite you to be a part in person. There's something about being in person in church that you just can't uh, replicate uh, online, but we'll just believe that while you're there, God's going to touch you. Uh, but what I want to do is I want to um, continue with the series I started two weeks ago. Obviously, last week we took a little break for the chili cook-off and the Super Bowl Sunday, and we did a special message because kids were in the service. Uh, but, but I want to talk to you. I want to continue with the series um, entitled For God So Loved the World. And today I want to talk to you about God's heart for the world. John chapter 3 and verse 16 says these words and verse 17. We'll read this, then we'll pray and believe God for what he has for us today. And I just encourage you to trust God with me, um, you're, uh, that, that he would help me, right? Um, you know, uh, I will tell you that what I've got to share today, there's a little bit of uh, teaching and instruction involved in it. It's not, you know, sometimes on Sunday mornings, you know, I get fired up and I just, but there's some instruction and just things I need to share that sort of equip us as believers to be prepared to walk in the kind of love that God says is love and not that the world says is love. And so I uh, want to encourage you to believe God for the right words for me as the Holy Spirit uses me to speak through me to you. Um, and we'll just trust that anything that's me will get out of the way. Amen. But let's read our opening text, then we'll pray. It says in John 3:16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Let's pray before we begin. Father, we just come to you in the name of Jesus, and we just thank you so much that you love us, that you care about us, and that through Jesus we have open access to you. So we ask you, uh, by the power of that blood, to just make things very clear to us, by the, and by the power of your Holy Spirit, I ask you to speak through me to your people and to just bring your word your thoughts, your truth, so that when we leave here today, we are more equipped with your love. We are more like Jesus, and that we can be so much like him that the life that we live and the love that we show touches people with the power and anointing of his presence. And so I just give you praise and thanks for helping me and working through me to accomplish your will and your purpose this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, you know, uh, this, this series is the product of really uh, seven months ago, maybe eight months ago, the Lord spoke to my heart and told me to teach on the love of God and to not stop teaching on it until he told me otherwise, and he hasn't told me otherwise. And so, um, you know, I've been sort of amazed that, you know, uh, you know, how many of you realize God used a donkey to talk to Balaam, right? <laughs> sort of amazed that God could get eight months of teaching on one subject out of me. But um, that being said... Um, uh, we've spent the first, you know, few months really talking about what the love of God was and how we live that life of love to those around us. Look at your neighbor and say, I'm supposed to love you. 
And so we've talked about how do we display and show that love to those around us. Hopefully that's not too hard, right? Um, uh, but then, then the second thing we did was is we really took a look at not so much, you know, how much we're supposed to love each other, but then we took a look for a great number of weeks, maybe three or four months, at how God views us, how God loves us, right? You know, I think sometimes people see God as an angry God or a distant God or a dic dictator type of God when through that series we really discovered that God is a happy, loving God and he wants to bless us and help us and make our lives better. Um, but as we move forward from that, I, I, the, the Lord really dealt with me to do this series for God so loved the world because we're not so much talking about in this series how to love each other. We're not so much talking about how God loves us, but we really, I believe God wants us to gain some perspective on how we should view the world that is outside of these four walls. How should we show his love to a world without Jesus Christ? And that's what that verse says. It says, for God so loved the world that he gave. <clears throat> I want you to think about that for a minute. Before the world ever gave to him, God gave to the world. And, and it just sort of is, is a reflection of the fact that God has a heart that gushes for a world that isn't even potentially thinking about him, maybe even is opposed to him right now. God loves the world. And what we pointed out was that is if we're going to endeavor to understand the love of God and learn about his love and become like his love, it will always, if we're doing it properly, it will always culminate in a love for the lost world around us. Because God loves the world so much that he gave to the world. See, I think sometimes, you know, if we're not careful, we can talk about loving Jesus in Christian circles and loving him so much that we get caught up in our sort of Christian club, right? And we fail to realize that, you know, a real pursuit of the love of God doesn't just produce in us a passion to just want to worship him, but it also causes us to look outwardly and vertically, I mean horizontally. It causes us to look around our lives and say, wait a minute, I love people so much that I want others to know about him. Not because we've been, you know, cattle prodded or whipped into doing it by a pastor that says, y'all should be winning or lost. But because there's genuinely something in our heart, his love in us, that is motivating us to say, I, I, I want to I reach people that are hurting. I want to reach people that, that don't have answers. I want to reach people with that love. And so today what I want to do is I want to talk a little bit more about that love with, with the hopes that that perspective will permeate us to the point that we do want to reach out to the world around us. Now, notice our opening text says, for God so loved the world. Everybody say the world. You know, it's interesting as we think about that thought, what does that really mean? What does that word wor world mean? You know, and, and I think as we approach that subject to understand what it means that God loves the world, we have to understand that the actual word, world, has many different meanings, just like the English language. How many of you realize the word shrimp has different meanings, right? Shrimp can mean something from the sea that you eat, right? Shrimp can mean something small, right? It can even be a word that you fire at somebody angrily if you don't like them. You shrimp, right? Shrimp has a lot of different meanings, right? Uh, but, but it's all the same word. And when we look to the word of God, we find that the word world is used contextually a lot of different ways. 
And I think because of that, it can cause confusion in us about what it means to truly love the world. And it even can cause confusion in a world that doesn't know God about what it truly means to love the world. And so I think it's important to understand that. I mean, here's one just contextually if you think about it. I mean, because you think about the word world, it can be used in a lot of different ways, right? Uh, you know, if you read scripture, you'll find sometimes the word world is used to describe the physical world around us, the, you know, the, um, the, in the entire creation, just the physical world, right? The word world can also mean not anything physical, but the world system. You know, we live in a world that's, that has a system right now that is geared towards uh, degradation, right? If you think about it, leave a car outside in the rain for 20 years and what happens to it? If you don't touch it, don't wash it, it degrades, right? Uh, we live in a world that has a system that is geared towards that. And sometimes, sometimes the scripture will talk about the world in the sense of that system, Nothing to do with people, but that system. Sometimes the world will tell, the word world will talk about the temporary world in which we live. You know, the scripture says that, you know, one day this earth will pass away and there'll be a new heaven and a new earth, right? And so sometimes the, the word world is not referring to people or a process. It's just talking about the present physical planet that we live on. And then sometimes it talks about the worlds to come. <laughs> there, are, there are worlds yet that we have yet to see, that are going to come, as the scripture talks about. And so all of those are sort of natural, physical things, right? Or, or spiritual things. But then also, as you read the scripture, you find that the term world is sometimes used to, to refer to people groups, to humanity. The word world can sometimes refer to everybody in the world, you know? That's sort of, you know, uh, uh, sort of unbiblical, but, you know, he's got the whole world in his hands, right? You know, I mean, it sort of can be used to refer to all creation, all people. But then also, there's another term for the word world that refers to only the lost world. You know, as we look at people groups from God's perspective, actually in people groups, there are really only three groups of people that God acknowledges. Uh, one, he acknowledges the nation of Israel. He views them as his cherished and prized possession. The second group of people that he acknowledges are the Gentiles. That is, that is often called the world, right? And then there is another group of people that we're a part of if we've accepted the Lord Jesus Christ, and that is the church or the body of Christ, so three people groups. And so sometimes when we see the word world referred to in Scripture, it's referring to not the church, but it's referring to the lost world, the collective of the Gentile world and any Jews that not accepted Jesus, right? It's talking about the lost world world. And so, you know, though all of those different definitions, when you look at them in scripture, can be very confusing then. What does it mean? God loves the world, right? First John chapter 2 and verse 15 is a very simple example of it. Notice first John chapter 2 and verse 15, it says, love not the world, <laughs> neither the things that are in the world. If any man loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. So we got John 3.16 that said God loves the world, but it says if you love the world, then the love of the Father is not in you. Well, does God love the world or does he not love the world? Right? So we can create confusion. And I think that confusion sometimes, sometimes can lead to very false doctrine that gives us a wrong picture of who God really is. And so as we think about our opening text for God, I mean, in, in 1 John chapter 2 and verse 15, we see very clearly there, he's not talking about God doesn't love people. Everybody say God loves people. 
And we see that as we read the following verses. Notice verse 15 and 16. It says, Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man, if any man love the world, then the love of the Father is not in him. Now he tells us, the, he defines what the world is in this sense, in this context. For all that is in the world, here you go, all that is in the world. Well, what, 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 in what definition of the word world? Here it is. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. So what does he say there? He says God doesn't love what is in the world. It doesn't say he doesn't love the people of the world, but he doesn't love the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. If you think about all of those things, lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, and pride of life, they all tend and lend itself to selfishness, which is the essence and the beginning of sinfulness. And what God does not love in the world is sin. And it's important for us to recognize that. When the Bible says, for God so loved the world, it did not say that God loved the sin in the world. As a matter of fact, we know he does not love sin. Why does he not love sin? Number one, he doesn't love sin because sin hurts people and hurts others. Notice, if you will, in Isaiah chapter 1, verse 19 and verse 20, it says, If you are willing and obedient, you shall eat the good of the land. But if you refuse and rebel, you shall be devoured by the sword. Notice what he says there. If you're willing and obedient, if you don't sin, if you do what God says, it's going to go well for you. But if you don't, it doesn't say God's going to punish you. What it says is if you refuse and rebel, you'll be devoured by the sword. See, the reason God doesn't like sin is because sin brings pain. Whether it's pain in your life or pain in the life of someone else or pain for both. <laughs> but anytime we live by the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, eventually that will wind up causing pain for someone. And so when the scripture tells us to love not the world, it's not telling us to love not people. It's saying to do the same thing God does. Don't love sin because sin causes pain. Right? Second reason God doesn't love sin. Notice Proverbs chapter 4 and verse 12. It says, for there is a way that seems right unto man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. God does not like the deception of sin. See, sin sometimes will tell you, if it feels good, that's going to be great for me, so I'm going to do it. It may seem like the right thing to do, but God, the all-wise, all-knowing God, knows better. And there are ways and things that God says in his word that we should not do. You know? And human reasoning many times in the world even around us will say, well, it's not really hurting anybody. If God says that it's sin, it will hurt somebody eventually. And it, and it, and it may hurt you eventually. It will hurt you eventually. And so it's important to recognize God does not love sin. Another reason God doesn't love sin is not only because it's hurtful, but because and this is really shows us the heart of God. It's because it separates him from the people that he loves. It separates him. Romans 6.23 says, for the wages of sin is death. Notice that sin is death. Now, death many times, I think people, when we think about it from a natural sense, if we haven't been schooled in the word, we think death means really the, the end of things, Right? But death is not the end of things. Death really in Scripture means a separation from something. Death of the natural body is a separation of your eternal spirit from your natural body. And it either goes to heaven or it either goes to hell according to Scripture, right? And I'm, I'm not going to argue that point with anybody. It's just the truth, right? So it's important to get yourself secured in the right place, right? 
So death is separation, physical death is separation. What is spiritual death? Spiritual death is just separation from the God that created you. See, sin separates us from the very God that loves us more than anybody can. And it's important to recognize that the reason God does not like sin is not only because it's hurtful, but because it separates. You know, it's not like, you know, when, when God looks at sin, he doesn't look at it like, well, I, you know, um, that sin is an enemy, although it is an enemy, right? God doesn't like sin because of the implications of what it causes. And his hatred for sin is steeped in his love for man. And we must understand that, that God doesn't tolerate, God doesn't love sin because he loves people. And sin is hurtful and it separates them from the heart of a God that wants to love them. And so what I want to do for the remainder of this service is sort of separate the idea of God not loving sin from the concept and truth of God loving all people of the world. Everybody say the world. So what I want to talk to you about today is, not, I'm not talk, we've already spent 13 weeks on God loving you. How many of you are glad God loves you? Amen. So we're not going to talk about how much God loves you today. We're going to talk about how much God loves people that have not accepted Jesus yet. I want to talk to you about God's perspective of that because God does not like sin, but God loves people. And it's important for us as a church to make that differentiation because if we don't, we're going to find that there are certain attitudes and attributes we can develop within ourselves that do not reflect the heart of God. And we can fall heir on two sides of the equation. We can fall heir on the side of believing that because God loves the world, that he just loves everything about the world and accepts everything about the world. But we can also fall heir on the other side of becoming so judgmental of the world that we view the world as an enemy instead of realizing God loves them in spite of the things that he hates that they do sometimes that cause pain to one another. And so it's important for us to recognize that God loves the world. And what I want to do is, is I want to use a, a, a simple illustration that, that God uses or that Jesus gave us in Luke chapter 10, how many of you have, uh, know the, or how many of you have heard of the story of the Good Samaritan? You always think when I say the word Good Samaritan, I think about um, folks that travel in RVs. <laughs> because there are Good Samaritan campgrounds all over the country, right? You know, I don't know why, but that just always cross pot that picture, that little smiley face always pops into my head. But I, <laughs> I digress. But, but I want to talk to you from the perspective of this story of the Good Samaritan because I believe it gives us a beautiful picture of three different mindsets that can be developed, two of which are not good and one is very good. And it's a perspective of how to truly love the world. So Luke chapter 10 and verse 25, I want to start reading there. Uh, and it says in verse 25, it says, And behold, a certain lawyer stood up and tempted Jesus, saying, Master, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And he said unto him, What is written in the law? How readest thou? And he answered and said, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy strength, and with all thy mind, and thy neighbor as thyself. You know, that verse 27 encapsulates really the values that we have of our church. The values of our church are that we should love God with all of our hearts. And the decisions we make should be a reflection of how much we love him. Right? And then secondly, our second value is that we value people. 
We value them as God does, and therefore we treat them as God does with respect and dignity and care for them, right? And then in the end, it produces a mindset, if we love God and we love people, then we're going to be a blessing to others. We're going to use our gifts and talents to serve. But he said there, love God and love your neighbor. And then he said unto him, thou hast answered right, this do, and thou shalt live. You would think that the guy would say, great, got my answer, and would walk away. But it says, but he willing to justify himself said unto Jesus, and who is my neighbor? That's a compelling question we have to ask ourselves this morning. Who is our neighbor? See, this guy was trying to, dis, he, you know, he's really trying to disqualify. Who do I love and who do I not need to love, right? And, and, and the reason for that was is because in the, in the setting where this was told, there was a whole lot of hating your neighbor going on. The Samaritans hated the Jews, the Jews hated the Samaritans, and the Samaritans and the Jews hated everybody else. Right? We got a lot of that going on today. Christians hate the world. Homosexuals and lesbians hate Christians. Adulterers don't like Christians. Democrats hate Republicans. Republicans hate Democrats. Right? So what's the question? Who is my neighbor? Who should I love? Well, we're going to find out that what Jesus talks about in this story is not talking about how you love the person sitting on the right or left. Because if you've accepted Jesus Christ, you are a part of the family of God. You're a part of the household of God. They live in the same house you live in. And there are certainly scriptures on how we should love one another as believers. But this story is not about how to love fellow believers. This story is about how to love somebody who doesn't live in your house. It's about how to love somebody that's your neighbor, right? It's how to love the world around you. Verse 29 says, But he willing to justify himself said unto Jesus, And who is my neighbor? And Jesus answering said, So he's going to tell us a story now of who our neighbor is and how we should love him. A certain man went down into, from Jerusalem to Jericho. And fell among thieves, which stripped him of his raiment and wounded him and departed, leaving him half dead. Everybody say, that's my neighbor. Who's your neighbor? The man that has been beaten and whipped and stripped and left half dead. I think it's interesting the Holy Spirit chose to use the term half dead, right? Because, you know, you can be living physically and be dead spiritually, See, for you to be living physically and to not know Jesus Christ, the Bible tells us that your spirit is not alive unto God. Your spirit actually says in one place that you're actually of the nature and of your father, the devil. You may not be the worst person in the world, but your nature is after his nature. You are separated from God. You are a walking spiritual zombie. The apocalypse has come. The lost world, a person without Christ, is our neighbor, a person that is spiritually lost. And so what we're going to find in the next verses is how we, I believe this is a, this, I mean, he was talking to his disciples. I believe this is a picture of how the church should love the world around it. And so I'm going to walk through just three simple truths. Everybody say three simple truths. On how we should, what, what, what should our perspective be of the world around us? And I will tell you, if we embrace it, I believe it's the perspective of God that he has for the world. And the first one is this. If we're going to love the world properly, we should not be so mired in our religious pursuits that we overlook the lost world around us. 
Luke chapter 10 and verse 31, the, go, the, the story goes on and says, And by chance there came down a certain priest. Everybody say a priest. There came down a certain priest that way, and when he saw him, saw who? The man laying there hurting and lost and half dead. He passed by on the other side. So notice, first of all, and remember once again, we're, we're, we're not talking about, you know, we could be talking about, but I want to qualify this. We're talking about spiritually lost people, right? I think all the time, you know, we talk about somebody just passing by and, you know, not, not acknowledging them. We always think about the guy standing at the stoplight looking for a buck or two, right? And certainly, you know, that guy could be lost. But the application of this verse is far more reaching than just the down and adder that needs a couple of bucks. This is talking about someone that is absolutely half spiritually dead. Someone that has been beaten up by life. And because they've been beaten up by life, they're embracing lifestyles and ways of living that are contrary to Scripture. Right? Some ways that the Bible even describes them as enemies of the cross. And yet God says, love your enemies. Right? See, so we find here this spiritually lost person laying by the roadside and the priest, <laughs> the priest, the, the religious one, he was walking by and notice he didn't even take the time to give him a second thought. He just saw him and kept on going. Why? Because here's the thing we find about the road to Jericho here is that there was a road often traveled by priests as they went to fulfill their priestly duty in Jerusalem. They were busy. This guy was busy going to fulfill his religious pursuits, right? And he was too busy to stop and see the world around him. And so one of the things we've got to understand is if we're going to love the world like God wants us to love the world, we cannot be so consumed with our plans and our purposes and our worship services and our own personal devotion time that we don't look horizontally in our lives on a regular basis to touch a world that is lost without God. We see this as God encourages the, the nation of Israel through Isaiah the prophet. In Isaiah chapter 56, the Lord speaks to Isaiah and says, Cry aloud and spare not. Lift up thy voice like a trumpet and show my people. Everybody say my people. Show my people their transgression and the house and the house of Jacob their sins. And he says, I'm going to show you. I want you to tell them what they're, what, what's going on here, what they're doing wrong, what needs to be fixed. Aren't you glad God wants to fix you sometimes? Verse 2 says, yet they seek me daily and delight to know my ways as a nation that did righteousness and forsook not the ordinances of their God. They ask of me the ordinance of justice. They take delight in approaching God. That sounds like a pretty good group of people. I want you to think about it for a minute. I mean, look, they seek God daily. They got their daily devotional plan. They, they, first of the year, they opened up their Bible app, and they, they downloaded a 365-day plan for the year. They seek God daily. They delight to know my ways. Man, they are hungry for God. They want to know God. They want to know His ways. As a nation that did right, I mean, they're working on living right and being holy and, and projecting who, who, who it, the holiness that God calls for. They forsook not the ordinances of God. I mean, they come to church. They take communion regularly. They ask of me the ordinance of justice. They say, Lord, you know, we want justice. And then here, notice this. They take delight in approaching God. Man, they love their worship. They love their worship. 
man, life is just about worship. I just, I just, I just, want, to, I just want Jesus. Sounds like a good group of people, right? But notice what it says in verse 3. Wherefore have we fasted? Now here's this group of people, this great group of people. Wherefore have we fasted, say they, and thou seest not? Wherefore have we afflicted our soul, and thou takest no knowledge? Notice what they say. They say, Lord, we're seeking you. We're pursuing you. We're looking for you. But we're not finding the answers. I'm not satisfied. Let me tell you something. I'm going to tell you something, and I I want you to just take it to heart. Uh, I'm going to qualify it, but I want you to understand this. A person that lives their life that says, I'm only going to seek the face of Jesus and him only will never be satisfied in their heart. Not because Jesus can't satisfy, but because the character of Jesus will always permeate to the point that now they want to pursue not only him, but they want to pursue others. See, God did not create you to be an end reservoir of his love and worship. He created you to be a river of love through which his love flows. And I will tell you, uh, just saying, well, let's, let's just focus, because you know, I've had people tell me, let's just focus on Jesus and people will show up. Well, I, you know what? Maybe you might be right, but I will tell you this. If your heart isn't prepared to receive the people that show up, you, you won't be prepared for them. You won't be ready for them. Right? See, at the end of the day, these people were saying, Lord, we're seeking you, but we're not getting satisfied. One of the reasons we, many, many believers are not satisfied is because they're a dead sea instead of a river. They are absolutely seeking God for themselves, seeking God for their gratification, seeking God for their peace, seeking God for their finances, seeking God for their dreams, seeking God for self, which is not the way of God. And it's a deception. Notice what it goes on to say. God answers them. Behold, in the day of your fast, you find pleasure and exact all your labors. What is he saying? He says, in the day of your fast, you're doing it for yourself. I got to tell you, the culmination of our vision here at Grace Family Church is to be a place where people can meet friends, worship God, hear the word, and be a blessing. I said it last week. I'll say it again. We will never be resolved to be a Christian country club that attracts other believers to leave their church and come to ours. Our desire and my desire as the pastor of this church is for us to reach those that are lost and hurting. Amen. And if people have other churches they go to, we encourage them to support their church to do the same. Right? I understand there are seasons and there are times in people's lives, but I will tell you this. I would be much more satisfied if this group here was tripled in size by 2X people that just don't have a church home and don't know Jesus than I would be for somebody saying, man, they're doing a great thing over there. Their worship is awesome. (laughs) Their small groups are great. I would much rather be a group of people that are so passionately hungry for the lost that God's filling our walls and our seats with people that need to know and have a relationship that is active with Jesus. Verse 3 says, Behold, you fast for strife and debate. You know those guys, right? Love to get on Facebook and tell everybody else why they're wrong and use scripture to do it. 
and to smite with the fist of wickedness? You fast and do, do this day to, to make your voice be heard on high? Is it such a fast that I have chosen, a day for a man to afflict his soul and to bow his head as a bulrush and to spread sackcloth and ashes under him? Did I call you to beat yourself up to try to prove how much you love God? That's not what he's saying. Wilt thou call this a fast that is acceptable to the Lord? Notice this, is this not the fast that I have chosen, to loose the bands of wickedness, to undo heavy burdens, and to let the oppressed go free, and that you break every yoke? Is it not to deal thy bread to the hungry, and that thou, should put, that the, that thou bring the poor that are cast into thy, out into thy house, when thou seest thy naked, that thou cover him, and that thou hide not thyself from thine own flesh? What is he saying? It's not the fast that I've chosen, it's for you to reach outside of your four walls and touch the lost and the hurting. And notice what he promises us when we get that right. Verse 8. Then, everybody say then. That means all this happens and then something happens. Right? See, you've got a lot of people seeking, oh God, send revival. Oh God, send revival. Why? Because I want goosebumps. I want to see miracles. I want to be entertained. But he says, when you change your perspective to one that is like God's, it says, for God so Lord, I want to be touched by your heart, and I want your heart to touch me in such a way that I care and gush towards the world. It says, then shall thy light break forth as the morning, and thy sh thine health shall spring forth speedily, and thy righteousness shall go before thee. The glory of the Lord shall be your re reward. Then she shall call, and the Lord shall answer. Thou shalt cry, and he shall say, here I am. If thou take... Where, where are you, God? He's out there. Right? You get out there, you'll be with him. And you can read the rest of these verses for the sake of time. Write them down. But what that, what that tells me is this, is that when we get our perspective right of how God loves the world, that's when the floodgates open in our lives. That's when the process works like it should. Right? That's when prosperity begins to take hold in your life. That's when blessing, that's when peace. That mean listen to me, when you get this mindset right, you're going to be a sacrificer. You're going to be a giver. You're going to be a second place setter in your life. Why? Because you choose to, right? But when you do that, you seek first what he cares about, right? He'll take care of the rest. He'll, your righteousness, your light, it says in one place there, will be like the noonday sun. That means the darkest hour of your life will be like the middle of sun, uh, noon when it's sunshine and bright and no clouds in the sky. And so we have to be seekers of God so that we can be fishers of men. So the first concept that we see in this story of the Good Samaritan is we can't be so busy about our religious pursuits that we fail to see that there's a world around us that needs to be loved and cared for by a God that loved and cared for us when we were still sinners. Amen? Number two, second thing we learn from Luke chapter 10 is that we should not view the lost world as unworthy of our compassion and pursuit. We cannot view the lost world as unworthy of our compassion. Aren't you glad that you weren't considered unworthy of his passion and his pursuit? That while you were yet sinners, Christ died for you. And yet for some reason, many believers get born again and get on their spiritual high horse and think all of a sudden that some people are not worthy of being loved like they need to be loved to receive Christ. 
Now, some people might say, wait a minute, you're about ready to go down a slippery path. I got three points to this message, so you hang for the second one until I get to the third one, all right, before you go critiquing what I'm going to talk about. Amen. Luke chapter 10 and verse 32. It says, and likewise a Levite, when he was at the place, came and looked on him and passed by on the other side. Everybody say a Levite. So Levites were assistants to the priests. And Levites were known for being meticulous about the law. Scrutinizing the law to the nth degree. As a matter of fact, Jesus even said that the Levites at one point, they were so demanding of the law that they demanded that the people of Israel tithe off of their salt kernels, or whatever you call them, right? When you got salt, you ever got a salt shaker? It's broken. He said, count them all out and give 10% of that or you're not doing right. That's how, that's how meticulous Meticulously wrong. Everybody look at your name and say we're wrong. But how meticulous they were about the law. And I want you to notice that this Levite did something different than the priest did. The priest just looked and he was too busy with his duty, so he went on. He was doing his thing. He was seeking God, doing his thing, and he went on, right? But then the Levite, it says, he saw the guy, and he went over and looked at him, inspected him saw that he was gushing blood, and according to the law, he was unclean because he was gushing blood. So you know what he said? He's unclean, so I can't touch him. So he walked away and went another way. See, we as believers cannot be so meticulous about the law of God that we stop loving the loss that God gave his life for. We cannot be that way. Romans chapter 5 and verse 8 says, But God demonstrated his own love to us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Aren't you glad that Christ did not take a Levitical approach to how he loved us? While we were sinners, he loved us. And I got to tell you, how many of you realize while someone is a liar, God loves them? While someone is an adulterer, God loves them. He doesn't love the sin because the sin causes pain. We've already qualified that, right? While they're a thief, God loves them. While they're a homosexual or a transvestite or transgendered, God still loves them. Right? So I'm going to say something. might be a little politically charged. He may not have washed their feet, but he spread his arms and shed his blood for them. Right? See, we can't be so Levitical in our approach that we declare things from the rooftop about how wrong people are to the point that we alienate ourselves from them and don't show them the love of God. You say, wait a minute, slippery slope. Wait for my point three, I promise you. Wait, wait, wait. I'll satisfy your Levitical mindset. But my first point is this, you never find Jesus rejecting anyone that came to him other than religious people that spewed a bunch of junk that would confuse others. And he didn't reject them, he just chastised them for it, right? So we must be careful as a church that believes in the holiness and truth of God's word, that sin is destructive, sin hurts people, that we don't categorically disqualify people from our love. 
getting mighty quiet in this spirit-filled church. The judgmental scowl of religion is a poor reflection of a loving God hungry to be reunited with his fallen man. And we must resist the urge to judge the lost in a manner that causes us to view them as the enemy. The fact of the matter is, is we don't wrestle with flesh and blood. We wrestle with principalities and powers and rulers of the darkness of this world who use sinners as pawns to hurt the heart of God as God watches his suffering humanity mire in sin that hurts them. And our mindset should be, poor sinner, I was one too, and I was blinded at one point in my life. I'm going to come running with the truth of God's love. Amen? Which leads me to my third point. Number three, we, have to, we should have compassion for a lost world and act accordingly. Notice as we go on reading the story of the Good Samaritan, Jesus gives us a picture of what the love of the Father is truly like in the picture of the Samaritan. Verse 33 says, But a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was, and when he saw him, and when he saw him, has the love of God struck you in such a way that when you see certain lifestyles, this wells up in you? Because if not, we got a long way to go with the love of God. When he saw him, he had compassion on him. See, God has the ability to look past the sin. I didn't say accept the sin, because we're going to talk about that in just a moment. He has the ability to look past the sin and allow compassion to rise up in his heart to say, I hate that because it hurts them, and I want to help them, and I want to show them the way out. Luke chapter 10 and verse 34, we see what the guy did. Here's how you act accordingly. And he went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring in oil and wine, and set him on his own right hand and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper and said, look after him. And he said, when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Verse 35, I'm not even going to talk about it, but one of the ways we should be willing to reach the loss is be willing to give of our substance. You know, I will tell you this, that we have a 24K offering we're going to be doing in September where I'm asking folks not to give demissions except save it until this one day. And I'm believing we're going to raise $24,000 in one service to sow to the six missionaries that we support in our church. And I'm believing that throughout the year you should keep that image in your heart of that. That's part of ha acting appropriately toward a lost world, being willing to give up. You say, see, I ain't raising money for no building, Right? We'll talk about building funds throughout the year, and we'll need to come together as a group of people, but I ain't going to raise that money. I'm going to trust God for that money and just let God deal with y'all. But I'm going to tell you this. I'm going to raise money to give it to a lost world because it's going to go right through my hands, every single cotton pick and penny of it, to the world around us to reach people that need to know Jesus, right? But I want you to notice verse 34, because that's where I want to spend my time this morning. It says, and he went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring in oil and wine, and set him on his own beast, and brought him to an inn, and took care of him. Notice, first of all, he went to the lost man. He went to the lost man. He didn't alienate himself, alienate himself from the hurting man because of his uncleanness. We must not be so staunch in our embracing of the truth that we fail to embrace the lost. 
You know, we can be in the world and not of it. We can care for lost and hurting people without condoning and participating in the very sin that hurts them. Amen. Jesus was called a friend of sinners, not an enemy of them. We can love and leave the judgment to God where it should stay. Aren't you glad he did that with you? Amen. Number two, he bound up his wounds and provided oil and wine to bring healing to the man. Everybody say oil and wine. I'm going to talk more about this in the next couple weeks, but oil and wine is a type of the anointing of the Holy Spirit. And if we're going to have the appropriate approach to a lost world, it's not going to be because we have the right theological argument for them. A theological argument will very rarely change anyone. But the anointing of Jesus will. It's the anointing that destroys the yoke of bondage. And all we have to do as a, lost, as, a, as a church to properly show love to the world is when you see a lost and hurting person, not try to convince them that their lifestyle is wrong, but to tell them simply this, I want you to meet Jesus because he can give you all the answers you need. There is an anointing that comes with introducing people to Jesus. Paul said this, I didn't come to you with an argument. I came with Jesus Christ and him crucified. See, for any person that is lost, it's not our job to tell them their lifestyle is wrong. It's our job to tell them that Jesus has answers for their life. Right? And then the third thing that he did, for all you Leviticals out there, Levites, <laughs> he took him to an end. Everybody say he took him to an end. He took this man from his place of hurting to a different place than where he was. And I think what that points out to me is this, is that although God does not like the sin and he loves the sinner, God does not accept sin. Right? See, on the flip side of that Super Bowl commercial, he gets us. If we're not careful, we can think that means that God just accepts everything because he loves people. But that would be just as dumb as me telling my kid when he was three years old, sure, it's okay for you to go get in the car and drive it because I love you and I accept that you want to do that. Why? Because you driving the car will hurt you. And love will not allow someone to do something that it will not condone what someone does when it's hurting them, even if they don't realize it. My three-year-old can jump up and down and say, but I want to drive the car. Don't you don't love me. If you love me, you'd let me. Love does not accept that which hurts another. And the purity and holiness of the God that we serve is not a condemning of sin, but it's a, he certainly condemns it. But it's a mindset that says, I cannot allow you to remain in that place where you're beat up and hurting thinking that's your answer when I've got an answer for you that can actually satisfy the longing of your heart. See, one of the ways we love the world is we must understand that love, acceptance with God, comes only after repentance before God. Acts chapter 2 and verse 38 says, repent. I said this last week. 
Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. He says, you will receive when? When will you receive? When will you receive his acceptance? When will you receive his love? After you repent. After you recognize that you know better than I know. I'm not arrogant enough to think that I'm smarter than the God of a million generations. I will bend my knee and humble my knee and say, even though I believe this is right, even though I'm convinced this is right, even though I've made decisions towards what I think is right, you say that it's going to hurt me, so I believe you love me enough to tell me that. I'm not arrogant enough to think that you're just telling me this because you want to restrict me and confine me. No, Always remember this, when God tells us and instructs us not to do or to do anything, it's always to protect us and keep us from harm and to make sure we walk in the biggest blessing we can possibly walk in. It's never to confine us, never to constrain us. And so it's important for us that when we bring Christ to a lost world, we bring it with a message. There is a message of repentance that comes with the gospel. I will say this, the gospel is not a message of acceptance alone. It is a message of repentance that brings acceptance. It's a message that says, I recognize I need to change teams. I need to receive what Christ has done for me and follow his plan if I'm going to be satisfied and be everything God created me to be. We must recognize that for us to reach a lost world, we we can't be so loving that we buy the acceptance mentality that's trying to be driven into the church by not people, by spiritual wickedness, by the enemy himself. We cannot compromise that we love a world with throwing repentance out the window. If you want Christ, it's a choice to join his team. It's, it's sort of like a guy asking a woman to marry him, right? He bends his knee and he says, will you marry me? The answer shouldn't be, sure, I want to sleep around for the rest of my days, but sure, I'll join your team. No, the mindset is, I'm willing to forsake all others and give my life to you because you love me so much that I believe you're going to take care of me. See, we must recognize that if we're going to win the world, we have to be in the, everybody say middle of the road. As the musicians come, you don't have to say as the musicians come. Everybody say middle of the road. Yeah, I'm so grateful for sound people in my life that had taught me and trained me in my life. And one of the things that I've been taught in my life is that it's so important when it comes to biblical truth to make sure you stay in the middle of the road because on both sides of truth there can be ditches that you get into. And when it comes to the love of God and the holiness of God, we must be careful to stay in the middle of the road where the truth is. We must not sway so far to the right that everything's acceptable and anybody can come to God and continue to live a life that is hurtful to them and hurtful to others because that's not what God calls people to. Jesus, I mean, In the book of Acts, the first salvation call ever given was repent and be baptized. It was repent. Turn from your lifestyle because God has something better. Not because he wants you to conform, 
He wants to protect you. But we also must be careful that we don't swing to the other side so that we see, okay, repentance, you've got to repent. So then we view everybody as an enemy that hasn't repented. You were without Christ once. And that merciful, non-judgmental approach is the approach we should have. Why? Because God loves the world. And I don't know about you, but I don't want to be known for standing in a bully pulpit arguing my side of the argument. I want to be known as, man, that guy was like Jesus. Man, that guy loved people. Yeah, that, and, and, and you know what? When, when, when we introduce people to a holy God that way, His holiness, His pure holiness will invade their life and it will drive out unholiness. You ain't got to preach it out of them. It'll drive it out. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world. What world is he talking about? He's talking about the lost world. Why? Because in the next few verses we find that what he gave the gift for was to save them. That was me and you at one point. Aren't you glad that you're not a part of that world anymore? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever, whosoever, whosoever believeth in him and that's an encapsulating word in the context of Scripture. Believeth in Him means that I believe in Him, so I'm choosing His way. Whosoever believeth in Him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. Notice this, for God sent not His Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through Him might be saved. God loves the world. Amen? We got to be careful to let them know God loves them so much that he's not willing to allow them to continue to wallow in something that causes them to hurt. He's got a better way. Jesus is the way. Jesus is the truth. Jesus is the life. We've been called to give Jesus to the world and allow Jesus and the Holy Spirit to confirm what we give them with signs and wonders following. Amen? Amen. Father, I thank you so much. I've done my best to preach the truth on this subject of you loving the world, but not loving the sin that causes pain and hurt. I pray, Father, that if there is anyone here under the sound of my voice, whether in this service or that will listen to it one day, that is struggling with a lifestyle that they know you clearly say is not something that you condone. that they would just turn their heart to you and say, I'm willing to change. I don't know how, but I'm willing to. And I thank you, Father, that through meeting your son, Jesus, the miracle will take place where unrighteousness is removed, oil and wine is poured in, and true life change takes place. I thank you for it, Father. Help us love like you love through eyes of compassion that even though we see sinfulness and even though we see hurt and harm being caused by it, we can still see past that and be moved with compassion, with compassion. Thank you for it, Father.
Every head bowed, every eye closed, no one looking around. If you're here this morning, you've never made Jesus Christ the Lord of your life. You've never been a knee and said, I'm choosing your life for mine. I'm turning my life over to you. I believe you died on the cross to forgive my sin. I believe you rose from the dead, and I'm accepting you, the living Jesus, into my heart and life this morning. If you've never done that, would you raise your hand and say, I want to do that this morning for the very first time. I want to make Jesus my Lord and Savior. Anyone at all? I want to wait just a moment. Scripture says, if you hear him knock, open your heart, and he will come in. Anyone at all? Okay, so I believe everyone here is a believer, but just for those that are listening online, I want to do this. If you are sitting there and you are in that spot, you can pray this simple prayer. Just repeat this prayer after me, and what you're in essence saying is, Jesus, I believe in you and I accept you. I confess and repent of my sinful lifestyle. I choose to follow you. I, can't, I, I won't do it perfectly, but I, I'll do my best to do it. I'm changing teams, and I confess you as my Lord. If you'll pray this simple prayer out loud with me, in this moment, you will become a child of God. Everyone pray this prayer out loud with me. Everyone here, say these words. Say, Lord Jesus, I believe you died on the cross for me. You shed your blood to forgive my sin, the very sin that causes me pain. I thank you that you forgive me. I accept you as my Lord and Savior. I join your team. Show me how to live. Teach me how to walk as I grow to understand how much you love me. In Jesus' name, amen and amen and amen. Well, I hope someone listened online and someone prayed that prayer for the very first time. If they did, let us know. We'd love to send you some free booklets. Amen. Amen. Well, listen, I want to close today with a word of prayer for you, but would you stand to your feet with me? Uh, prayer partners, if you'll make your way to the front. And let's just hold for a moment, even though prayer partners are in front. Let's just turn our heart toward heaven for a moment. Let's not leave until God puts a cap on this service for us. You are a holy God. You are a holy God, and we acknowledge your holiness. Help us display the pure holiness of your love to a world around us. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Shannon, just sing that. Just sing that out. Even when we don't agree. Thank you, Lord. Here I am, Lord. If it's bandaging the broken, washing filthy feet. Just listen to these words. If you want to sing them, sing them, but let this soak Here down into I you. Am, Lord, send me. If it's loving one another, even when we don't agree. Here I am, serve you just the same here I am Lord send me 
Help us not be judgmental. Let's leave that to you, Lord, and allow us to just love and call people to repentance. Thank you, Lord. Pray for each person under the sound of my voice. I thank you for your spirit encamped about them, keeping them safe and protected, and keeping them from harm. Thank you for anointing us with oil and wine of your spirit to go forth and share this love with the world around us and to bring people back to this place that don't have a relationship with the Lord or that are not active in their relationship with the Lord, that don't have a church home. Fill this place with lost, hurting, and unchurched people and help us love them as they come in whatever shape, form, or fashion they show up. Help us declare the truth and call them to repentance and the wonderful life that you have for them. Thank you for it, Father. Thank you for keeping our people safe and bringing them back to us to worship with us again next week. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. God bless you. Remind you our prayer partners are over here to my right, your left. But God bless you. Have a great week. We'll see you next week or Sun or Wednesday night. Thanks for listening to our Grace Family Church podcast. We really hope you enjoyed this message. If this ministry has blessed you in any way, we would love for you to get connected. Just go to gfcva.info to learn more about who we are, how to give to this ministry, or how you can get involved. Thanks again for listening, and we hope to see you soon.